you would turn your Bibles with me to James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from this wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amy. Progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Uh, Matt Chandler over at the Village Church on the other side of the Metroplex uh, preached through James a couple of years ago. I don't know exactly when it was. From, uh, looked at and watched a couple of his sermons as we've been going through James. And he says that phrase over and over and over through his time in James. Like he just keeps hammering it because there's this tendency when you're reading through James and you see all this practical instruction, you see all these warnings, you see all these do's and don'ts. I think a little bit to kind of feel defeated by it, right? Like if this is truly the mirror, like God's word is a mirror and we're showing us all the things that are wrong, like James walks us through and shows us a bunch of stuff, a bunch of places where we're failing, a bunch of places where we're falling short, a bunch of places where we don't measure up and it can be kind of defeating and you have to keep reminding yourself the gospel. You have to, have to keep reminding yourself that James implies the gospel a lot, but it's always there. It's always reminding us that we don't measure up. We, we don't earn anything. We don't deserve anything. We haven't like lived this out perfectly, and that's never been really the goal. Like It's not something we're going to attain. It's progress that's the goal. It's that we're moving forward, that we're, we're more like Christ now than we were a year ago. We're more like Christ now than we were when we started the book of James because we've been walking through this. And so we see these areas that we can still improve upon in the book of James, but when we run back to the gospel, we remember that it's only through the power of the gospel that we have hope to continue the progress. And so it's progress, not perfection, that's the standard. And I hope that we'll remember that as we move away from James. This is the last two verses today, and we'll kind of do a recap next week, but this is us moving away from James. But we'll remember that James is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. James is a gospel saturated in response to what Christ has done. Let's live our lives this way. Let's continue to make progress. And that's what we do. Like that, that, That's really all we're called to do is look at what Jesus has done and live our lives as a response to that. Live our lives as an act of worship in response to that. And it's nothing, it's nothing more than that, guys. It's not earning our way to God or making sure he still loves us or like we're achieving anything on our own. It's not more than that. It's just a response to what God has done, but it's also nothing less than that. It's, it's, it's a call that because of what Christ has done for us that we are going to continue to follow. We're going to continue to strive. We're going to continue to walk in the way that he wants us to walk, and we're going to shape each other in that process. And so in this last two verses, James talks about this idea of wandering away from the truth. And we're going to get into the details of that, but it's just this general idea at the very beginning that there's someone here that's wandering away from the truth. And I want to talk about what that, what that means and what that looks like because first and foremost, you need to see this, or you need to at least think about this, that sometimes when we use the term wandering, we kind of think about just like you're wandering around out in the woods or whatever and you get off the path and you just kind of end up in the wrong place and it's very accidental and it's very inadvertent. 
when the Bible uses this word that's translated here, wandering, it's talking about both. It's talking about sometimes we kind of drift away, but it's also talking about an intentional wandering. It talks about us willfully deciding to go a different direction. And so it, this wandering away from the truth, as James is talking about here, and all the Bible talks about it, is, is sometimes shown up in a wandering through our belief system. And so you can wander away from the truth and what you believe. You're, you're, what that looks like is you, somewhere along the way, you, you buy into something, some lie from the enemy or something that the world is telling you, and you decide that maybe you don't believe that God's way is best anymore in this particular area of your life, and you wander away because of belief. Like you decide, I'm not sure that God's plan is really best for me here. I, I think the way my neighbor's doing it or the way I see it on TV or whatever is better. And so there's a belief breakdown, and we stop believing the gospel, we stop believing the truth, and we stop believing uh, that this is what God is really called us to, and we walk away and we wander away from the truth and belief. But there's another side of this where it's behavior, that we can wander away from truth in just the way we're acting. And here's what that looks like. You may come to service, and you may be in community group, and you may be singing the songs and proclaiming the truth, and you say that you believe these things, but your life is not measuring up. Your behavior is not matching what you say that you believe. And we've heard this from James before, right? James has already talked to us about the danger of being a hearer of the word only and not a doer of the word. It's got to be both. We hear the word of God, and then we try to put it into practice through his power working through our lives. And so we can say we believe a lot of things, and then our lives don't look any different. And if anything, James has called us over and over again in every area of our lives to look different from the world, to look different from your friends around you, to look different from everybody else because of what Christ has done. And so there's this idea that we can wander in our behavior. Remember when we did Galatians before this, that Paul had to confront Peter because Peter was acting one way around the Jews and a different way around the Gentiles. And in Galatians 2.14, the first part of that verse, he says, but when I saw that there, Peter and his company, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And then he calls Peter out publicly for it. What was, he, what was the problem here? The way he was living, his behavior, his conduct was not lined up with the truth, was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He had wandered away in his behavior. Peter hadn't changed what he had believed. He still believed the truth, but he was acting as if he didn't. He was acting in a different way. And so we can wander from the truth. People wander from the truth because they decide, I'm not sure this is really the truth. I'm going to live a different way. I'm going to try it out. And sometimes we drift by our behavior and we stop practicing what we say that we believe. What James is saying here is that no matter what that is, it's, it's a dangerous thing to, to do. We, we have to recognize that, and we have to understand what this wandering can look like. And so, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get down in the weeds of these two verses and really try to help us understand that. And in order to do that, as I was studying this, this, this passage this week, I realized that what we're going to need to focus on is pronouns. And I know that that sounds horrible to most of you. Uh, to, to Jamie Lee and I, like this is a, um, this is just like an English lesson. We're both English majors, so we just love this. This is kind of cool. We're going to talk about pronouns, and I almost played the School of House, Schoolhouse of Rock um, pronoun song, but it's really, really weird. So, uh, but like 
when you see this, James keeps using these pronouns, definite and indefinite pronouns throughout this passage. And I just started looking at it from this weird English major perspective and I started seeing the pronouns really tell us a lot of truth in this passage. And so stay with me, okay? Here's the first pronoun, it's the pronoun anyone. And the phrase is anyone among you. Look at verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, anyone among you is referring back to the brothers. You see what he says there? He says, hey, my brothers. And James loves to call the church his brothers. He does that over and over in his letter, that he's addressing them as brothers. These are my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. These are Christ followers he's addressing. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you, among the brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. And so the anyone there, that pronoun is referring to the brothers, the people in the church, the Christ followers. And what that's telling us all by the use of that pronoun is that we are all capable of wandering. All of us are in the anyone here. We're the brothers. Like if you are a brother, if, you're, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation, then you are in the brothers. Even if you're a sister, right? You're a brother in Christ. You're a brother and sisters. We're in the family of God. And it's if anyone among that group, you and me, wanders from the truth, we are all capable of wandering. So here's the deal. Do this real fast. Look at somebody next to you. Go ahead, it's awkward, look at somebody next to you and recognize that the person next to you is capable of wandering from the truth. And now, well, it would be very distracting. It's already distracting enough that we have phones with us all the time, so I would say take a selfie, but let's don't do that. But just pretend in your mind to take a selfie and look at yourself because you, the person you're looking at in the selfie is capable of wandering from truth the truth, either in belief or in behavior. Every single one of us is capable of that. That's why Paul says in another place in 1 Corinthians, he talks about, hey, if you think that you stand, take heed, be careful, lest you fall. Because it's a dangerous place to start thinking, I got this. It's a dangerous place to start thinking, man, I've been a Christ follower this long. I am not going to wander from the truth. I am staying true to the end. Peter said that, right? Hey, if everybody else leaves, I won't, be, I won't leave. I'll be right there. And then just a few hours later, he's denying he even knew the guy. If you think that you stand and you're never going to fall, be really careful with that thought, lest you fall. We are all capable of wandering from the truth. Everybody in the room's capable of it. I'm capable of it. There's times that I find myself wandering in behavior, and sometimes even in belief. I'm not sure this is really the best way. I'm not, I have my doubts, right? We're all capable of wandering. We all have these blind spots. You remember the hymn, the, the, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? Such a great hymn in so many ways. That last verse is so relevant and pertinent to where we are and how we operate and how we live this life. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee, my wandering heart. God, let your grace keep me close to you. Let it bind me to you. This life that I'm living is a response to how much grace you've given me. Then this verse, 
Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Just an honest confession from the songwriter. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's just a confession song. It's a, it's a good song to sing because you're just saying, yeah, I know I wander. I, I'm capable of wandering away from this. God, don't let me wander. It's you that's going to hold me fast. It's you that's going to complete the work that you've begun in me. So God, seal my heart. Take my heart. Seal it. Let your grace overwhelm me in such a way that it binds my wandering heart to you. We're all capable of wandering. And so the next phrase in this thing, in, in this verse, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, someone's your next pronoun. If you're writing down pronouns today, that's the next one. Someone brings him back. I absolutely love this pronoun right here in this context because here's what's happening. If you were here last week, you know, Kai walked us through this passage right before this where James says, hey, is anybody in trouble? Is anybody sick? Here's what you need to do. Call the elders. Go get the elders and have them pray over you. And that's biblical instruction, and it's solid, and we should be doing that. And it's a good thing for us to put into practice. But you don't always need an elder. Like, here's what he says right after that. He says, hey, if someone's wandering from the truth, and it could be any of us, and then someone brings us back. Brings that person back. It's this someone in the body, someone among the brothers also comes in alongside the brother or the sister who's wandering and brings them back. That this is like, this reminder, something we say around here quite often is that if you're a Christ follower and you're a part of this church, you're a minister. Like we all have a ministry. We all have a spiritual gift that God has given us in order to build up the body of Christ, in order to edify the church. And so we are responsible for each other. We're responsible to do this. Someone brings them back. And so here's a truth that comes out of that, that phrase and that statement. We need people in our lives that will bring us back. We need people in our lives, like really engaged in our lives, who will see and recognize our wandering and bring us back. You and I need those kind of people in your life. We need that. Why? Because we're all capable of wandering. And here's the deal about wandering. Most of the time when we're wandering, it, most of the time for us, it's not a willful thing. It's a drifting thing, and it's a blind spot. And we all have blind spots. We have things in our lives that we just, it's hard for us to see how we're drifting and how we're wandering. And so you need some people in your life that is so close. They're so close, and they know you so well that when they see you start to wander off and they see you start to drift, they can call you on it that you've given them that kind of access and you've given them that kind of permission to call you on that. That's why what happens on Sunday mornings is super important here because you need the whole body, like there's all the gifts that Christ gives through his spirit to the church are all represented in the body here. And so we need everybody and we need to engage everybody. But what, what you really need to do is move from that into a community group where people really know you. And when they see you wandering, they, they recognize it because they know you that well. And they see you drifting off and you're making some errors in judgment in your parenting or in your marriage or in your finances and all these different kinds of things. And you're such an open book in that community group and those people know you so well that when they see you wandering off, they call you on it. Because you need it. I need it. 
I got blind spots in my life, and I got people in my life that will call me on that, will point those out to me all the time. So we need this kind of thing in our lives. Uh, Emily Martin over here uh, married to Kai, and she, I don't know if you guys know that, but she manages, one of the things she does, she manages our social media at Crosspoint because we're trying to be right out there relevant with everybody, and she does an amazing job of that. And this last week or two, she's been putting some great stories, like stories of our people on there. And so if you, don't, like, if you don't follow that, if you don't like that, if you don't do that, if you're just against social media, we can talk about that another time because I understand. But if, like, if you're on social media and you're not following Crosspoint on Instagram, Facebook, please get on there and follow it because there's some amazing stories, real life examples of what we talk about, what we teach that our people are doing. And this week, uh, Mark Flint was one of the stories. And one of the things that he shared in his story that we, we were able to put on social media is that when he was a young man, he didn't have his act together and he was moving in the wrong direction. He was doing some things that were really drifting and wandering and he had somebody in his life that showed up on his front porch and basically was there to tell him, hey, you need to get your act together. You need, I see these things in you. And he had given that guy permission and access and that guy knew him well enough to call him back from his wandering and it restored so much and it's changed the trajectory of his life. Guys, we, you and I, we need that kind of thing in our life because we're capable of wandering, so we need people in our lives that will bring us back. Verse 20 says, let him know. And so there's another pronoun for us, it's him. And this one's kind of interesting because we don't know who the him specifically is. And he just said, someone brings him back, and then two words later, let him. So is it, is the let him know is that talking about the person that gets brought back? Or is that talking about the person that's bringing him back? And in the way that this is written by James, it's not clear. We, we don't know exactly who it's talking about. And here's the cool thing about that. It actually can work both ways. Let him know. The person who gets brought back, sometimes you need to know and you need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, that when people are coming to me and pointing out blind spots in my life, that it's because they have my best interests, interests at heart. That that's not an easy conversation for them. That they've probably prayed a lot about that conversation and they probably sweated it out and they came to me to show me some things in my life that they needed to show me and I need to remember that this person is involved in what God is doing to restore me, to bring me back from my wandering. It says here that save my soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There's some scary, serious language there. And so I need to be reminded, let him know that this guy is doing this for my benefit. This person has come to me probably a lot of stress because they care enough and they love me enough to do this. So I need to know. And then on the other side of that, and this is most likely what James is talking about, he's really probably talking about the person who's doing the restoring, the person who's seeking out the wanderer. And that he needs to know that you might be saving that person from death. You might be covering a multitude of sins, that it's that important of an endeavor for you to do. It's that serious. When we wander away, if we never come back to really, really bad things, the Bible indicates about us. And so it's an important endeavor. So the let him know, I think for us today, means that we need to be people that bring others back. We need to do this. We need to make this a part of our lives. It needs to be a part of the rhythm of Christian life in the context of community. 
that we ought to be in people's lives so much that we see them wandering and then we're willing, because of our love for them, to be the kind of people that will restore, we'll be the kind of people that will seek them out. Once we see somebody wandering, we'll come and we'll do that. We'll, we'll confront that. We will, we will call it out. We will remind them. We will encourage them that we need to do that. See, here's the deal. The Bible has verse after verse after verse that we know, but we seem to ignore in practice where it talks about this all the time. It talks about encouraging each other. It talks about admonishing one another. It talks about how we're supposed to, in the body, not just pastor to congregation, but as we do life with each other in the body, we're supposed to instruct one another. We're supposed to sing songs together that remind us of the truth. And we're supposed to speak truth to each other in love. The Bible talks about that all the time, that this is part of what it looks like, that we're supposed to be warning each other when we step out of line. We're supposed to be rebuking each other. And when I say rebuke, all of a sudden, some of us shrink back, right? Because that's become such a dangerous, scary word. But in the Bible, it just seems like a part of the rhythm of like, it's not a horrible thing. It's just calling people out. Hey, you're wandering away. You need to stop that. You need to come back over here. And you're like, oh man, you're right. Thanks for pointing that out. That's what it's supposed to look like But here's the deal, because we never do it, it becomes a really horrible thing. Because it's not a part of our rhythm. We don't really embrace what the Bible shows us to be community. It doesn't show up all the time. And as a result, it becomes so scary and so intimidating. There's a book by Tim Chester called You Can Change, and I read it several years ago, and I go back to it all the time because it just talks about this gospel-centered approach to real life change that we all need. And one of the chapters, he talks about how we're responsible to help each other as we're changing and becoming more like Christ. And here's what he says about this idea of speaking truth and rebuking and admonishing and warning on it. He says, part of our problem is that we don't rebuke one another day by day. So when we do, it creates or exacerbates a sense of crisis. Rebuke becomes confrontation. How many of you you experienced that? Like you know that that's true. Someone comes to you and because that never happens in your life, it feels horrible. It feels like, oh man, this relationship has ended. Some of you have tried to have these conversations with people and you've prayed about it and you've spoken truth and love and it went completely south and everything got messed up. Why? Because we don't do this all the time. If we would do this, if we would speak truth to each other in love, if we would really instruct each other and encourage each other and sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron and we would rebuke each other when we need to, it would become a part of the rhythm of our lives, which is what community is supposed to look like, and it wouldn't feel so scary. It wouldn't be a big confrontation. It wouldn't create a crisis because it would become the rhythm of our lives. So we need to pursue that. We need to pursue this idea of speaking truth in love. We have lots of students in our uh, congregation. Lots of you guys are here. Listen to me, students. Start this now. Don't wait until you get to our age because we don't even know how, what we're doing anymore. Like, we, we can't figure this out as adults because no one taught us this when we were young. No one taught us this when we were students that when you have a problem with someone, you have a lot of options. You can run around and talk about them over here. You can now post on social media what you want, or you can go lovingly confront 
each other because you care about the relationship, because you care that person enough to do it. Start doing it now, making a practice in your life now. And when you get to be adults, this will be a rhythm of your life and you will flesh out the New Testament in your life because you will encourage and sharpen and speak truth and warn and even rebuke each other in love. You always have an option on that, adults, students, all of us alike, to do what God has called us to do, to speak truth and love to each other. So how do we do that? I want to get real practical with us right here. And it was, it was tempting for me to say, let me give you four steps. Here's four steps that you can take in order to begin to do this in your life. You see somebody you need to do this with, here's four steps. And I decided not to do that. Instead of what I'm going to do is give you four questions to ask. Because I think here's what we do sometimes is we rush into these things and we don't ask the right questions on the front end to prepare us for what God is calling us to do. And so let me give you four questions to consider as you consider putting this word of God that we've learned today into practice and becoming someone who lives in community like this. Here's the first question. Have I earned the right to speak? Have I earned the right to speak? Let me explain what I mean by that. Are you engaged in this person's life on every level? I mean, be honest. Someone that's not doing life with you, that's not engaged with you, and they come to you with a rebuke or a correction or some constructive criticism, you don't listen to that well. None of us do. Because you're like, you don't know me. You're not doing life with me. Somebody just comes up and offers a free little rebuke. Nobody receives that. It's, if you do, man, great for you. But most of us do not receive those kinds of rebukes. We just nod our heads and we walk away and we go, I don't know what that was about, but I'm not thinking about it anymore. We have to earn the right to speak like that. We have to earn the right. We have to be so engaged in people's lives that they know that we care about them first. We're not just going to speak truth and hope that it's in love, and hope that it's received in love. No, we're gonna show them by our life that we love them, and that's gonna earn us the right to speak the truth. And then we'll speak it in love. Does that make sense? You say, well, man, I got the spiritual gift of rebuking. <laughs> Some of you definitely think that you do, <laughs> but you don't. Like, I, I know the list that we have in the Bible are not exhaustive. I'm just pretty confident that that's not one of them. And so be in someone's life. Be engaged. Sometimes that means sitting with people and just being present with people and loving on people in practical ways before you ever get to the place where you speak the truth. So here's that first question. Have I... Have I been with this person? Have I earned the right to speak? Have I done life with this person? Am I engaged in their life so I've earned the right to speak? Second, ask yourself this. What's the desired outcome? This is something we talked about a lot when we did our uh, How to Deal with Conflict in a Christian Way series back in the fall, that we gotta make sure our motive is right. We gotta make sure our, that, that what we wanna see happen is right because it's really easy and it's really tempting to drift away and get the wrong motive and think, you know what? I, I need to make sure he knows I'm right. We can go into this thinking, I want to win an argument or I want to prove that I'm right and I want to show them their fault. And that doesn't go anywhere. No one receives that well. And so the, the outcome has to be restoration. That's what, that's what all James is talking about, saving their soul. 
covering a multitude of sins, bringing the drifter, the wanderer back, that our motivation is got to be pure. Our motivation has to be restoration. It's, it's for their benefit. That's how speaking the truth is wrapped up in love. I love this person so much that I don't want them to wander because it's going to end up in a bad place. So I'm going to speak this truth to them. And so what is the desired outcome? What is your goal? And it has to be restoration of the person, and that's it. Even if you don't win, even if you don't, you're not proved right, it's okay because I'm I have a different goal. And if you get the goal right, then it makes this third question a little bit easier to answer. How can I make this conversation edifying? How can the end result of this conversation build this person up and be part of their discipling, becoming more like Christ's process? So as my goal is restoration, so I want to speak to them in a way that will edify them. And that doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth. I mean, we're gonna speak the truth. We're gonna call sin what it is. We're not gonna hide it, we're not gonna cover it up. We're gonna speak truth, but we're gonna do that in an edifying way, which means sometimes that we don't rush in and just start it's laying out the complaints. It's not festivist, right? I got a lot of problems with you people, sit down. Like, no, sometimes it means that we're gonna go in and we're gonna talk about all the great things we see in them. We're going to talk about all the evidences of God's grace that we see flesh out. Like, you're doing a great job over here in this area, and I see it, and I see how God's working in you. But I need to point out this over here because I think you're missing this. So how does this conversation edify the person? The right goal will lead to the right practice, the right attempts, the right words will come out. Here's a good question for that. Weapons or tools? Weapons or tools? Sometimes I did with my kids when they were younger. I got some tools and I laid them out uh, on the floor of our living room. I actually do have tools, despite what Kai thinks. Most of these I borrow from Dub. And uh, <laughs> I, I laid out some tools and I said, hey, what, what are these? And they were all like, well, these are, these are tools. These are, you know, what are they for? And we talked about how these are for building things. These are for constructing things. These are for fixing things that are broken, right? And I said, but did you know this hammer right here, as much as it can be for fixing things, it can also be for destroying things? Like this can be a weapon. This can do some damage. You can put a hole in a wall, you can rip some things apart, you can rip the nails out, you can tear some boards apart, you can hurt some people with this. Like this can be a weapon or it can be a tool that you use to build something and to fix something and make something better. And our words are just like that. James talks about words all throughout his letter and how important they are. And our words are either weapons, tearing people down, destroying, criticizing, or they're building people up. They're, they're helping be a part of this discipling, fixing what's broken process. So our words are important. How we approach it, speaking truth, but speaking it in love so that your words are tools that God is using in somebody's life and not weapons to tear them down. And so think about that in your approach. Think about how am I going to use my words as a tool so that this will edify the person that I'm talking to? And here's the last question. How can God be glorified through this? This, is, this question is really a prayer. Before you go, this is the prayer. God, would you be glorified in this and not me? 
Don't make this about me. Don't make this about how I look. Don't make this about how we feel. God, would you be glorified in everything that happens in this? How, your approach, how can God be glorified through this conversation? God wants to be glorified in these conversations. He desires for that to happen. And so pray that prayer. God, glorify yourself as I have this hard conversation with my friend because I care about him. Colossians 3, 16 through 17 is one of the places you see this idea in the, in the Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything to glorify him, everything for him as we teach and admonish one another. Why? Because of what he did for us. I mean, everything we do, like we said at the beginning, is a response to what God has done for us. We were wanderers, and we had wandered so far away that we were completely lost, and we were completely hopeless, and we had no way to find our way back to God. And here's what God does. He pursues us. He chases us down. He leaves the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. And you and I were that one lost sheep. And he sends Jesus Christ to live on this earth, a perfect sinless life, so that he can pursue us, track us down, find us in our wandering, and rescue us and bring us back to himself. And he doesn't just like grab us and bring us home. He dies in our place to pay the penalty that we should have had to pay for our wandering. We all like sheep have gone astray and he came to find us and to bring us home. And the only way that that was possible was his death on a cross. And so if you've been wandering and you think, man, I don't know if I've ever really come back. I don't know if I've ever given my life to Jesus and put my trust in what he's accomplished for me. Maybe today's the day that you will come home to him. Maybe you'll realize that he's pursued you and he's reconciled you and he's rescued you. If you need to talk to someone, please come talk to us about that. Whether you're five years old or whether you're a little bit older, like come talk to us. Make sure you understand what Jesus has done. And for the rest of us that know what Jesus has done and we put our faith and trust in him, we know we've been rescued. We know we were the one and he came and sought us out. They died for us. Guess what? Now we get to be the people just like Jesus who respond to him by being those kind of people for everybody else, that we will seek out our brothers and our sisters when they wander and we'll bring them back in love for his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us and thank you for the truth of your word. It never disappoints and it never fails. Your word challenges us. Your word helps us to grow. And God, I pray that you just help us to respond to it today. Help us to be doers of the word, not just hearers because of what you've done for us, because of your mercy that you've demonstrated to us when you sent Jesus to rescue all of us wanderers. And we would be people that would walk in this truth because of what you've done and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.